when I hear that song, I think Brian would probably be in agreement. Sean would probably can, can concur. It took a miracle to get you up to sing, and it took me a miracle to get me up to speak. So, <laughs> if somebody told me I was going to be doing this 30 years ago, I'd have told them they're crazy. But uh, you never know when the Lord gets a hold of you what, what might happen. We've been doing a uh, series on uh, uh, extraordinary, you know, looking at different people. And as we continue our little study on extraordinary biblical characters, which what I mean by that, those who don't do what most ordinary people would do. They do what they should be doing, but not necessarily what ordinary people would be doing. And then we come across a person who very little is said about. You realize only a couple of years of his life is talked about. But we know him very well, but it's only a couple of years of his life. But I've always been uh, fascinated by him. And uh, we added a few points. I, we went through the Gospels before I've talked about it. But it's interesting when you look at it and you look at what he what he did uh, and what he's done. He, he died before he was even 33 years of age. So you don't know very little about it so far as his life before. We're not talking about Jesus. A very short period of his time. But what's said about him is amazing. And I think we can learn a lot from him. So today I'd like to look at it and uh, this prominent person. If you want the title, it was Getting Out of the Way. How many of you have trouble getting out of the way? How many people have a lot of trouble? They are get, become prominent, but they have a hard time getting out of the way when it's time to get out of the way. And it is difficult to do. And uh, as I looked at the different points of this person, thinking about it the last few weeks, last week I thought a lot about, you know, talking about with Ezra and talking about his life verse of Ezra, Ezra 7 and verse 10, where he talks about that he... What desire was to study the Word of God, to practice the Word of God, and then teach the Word of God. And I think that fits my younger brother well. Well, today, I think this one fits my older brother really well. And uh, his 70th birthday is tomorrow, so I'm kind of thinking about him. And I thought this really fit his, has fit his life very well. So let's look at it. Let's look at the first one. The, uh, I'm talking about would be preparing the way. If you look over in Luke chapter 1, we'll kind of get a little bit of background. And Luke 1, and we'll also be in Matthew 3, and so on. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, preparing the way. And if you'll notice, starting in Luke 1, you have Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. And in verse 6, it says of Luke 1, They are both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of God. Now, that's an amazing statement. Mm -hmm. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's not something that family members are writing about you. It's what the Holy Spirit's writing about you. And says you're walking blameless in all the commandments and requirements of God. Now that's an amazing statement. But they don't have any children. And you'll notice then it tells you in verse 14. They're going to have a son of 13 by the name of John. And you'll notice in verse 14. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will bring uh, no wine or liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Amazing. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while you're yet in his mother's womb, which we know occurred when Mary came. He returned back to many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn back the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness. 
so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Does he have a call? Does John the Baptist have a call? Before he's ever born, is there a plan? Is there a plan for every single one of you and I? And as parents and grandparents, are we told to train up a child in the way he should go? Psalms 139, do we not have different abilities that we have? So as a parent and grandparent, we have to figure out what those abilities are of the child and train them in accordance to make it fit. How many parents and grandparents are trying to make their child something that God doesn't want them to be? If you think about it, so John's, he's told what he's supposed to be doing. So as the parents, how well are you going to have to be training him? Remember, they are uh, trained in biblical things, and so they're training him to be this individual. You think about it, so here he has, so he, he was told from the beginning what he was going to be doing. So look over in Matthew 3 then, we don't know anything about him from the time he's born until all of a sudden he's baptized. So here you have 30 years of his life that we don't know anything about. And so look over in Matthew chapter 3. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Where's the wilderness of Judea? By the Red Sea. Okay, it's right by the Dead Sea. It's very desolate. Well, that sounds like a great place to be, right? And so obviously anybody that wants to see you is going to have to make it a point to come to see you because who wants to go to a wilderness, a desolate place? And it's interesting they do, and you'll also... Notice the man, look in verse 4, John himself had a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Well, that sounds like an interesting diet. And where would you get the honey? Well, you're going to have to go find hives, right? And I'm sure the bees just said, here, come get it, you know. And in a locust, is supposed to be real high in protein, but I don't know about you, but just eating them just doesn't sound overly appetizing to me. And how many of them are you going to have to catch? But you think about it. You know, it's obviously free food that you're getting, but you think about it too, though. But he's willing to serve the Lord in it. So here's the man that you have. But notice his message in verse 2 and 3. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It's Isaiah 40. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit told his parents he was supposed to be doing? Is he doing it? He's preparing the way. He's doing exactly the Messiah's coming. That's interesting. When you look at the message, he's fulfilling prophecy by doing this. He's telling them. Notice he also says it needs to be personal. He says you need to repent. Why should the people repent? You'll notice also in verse 6, they are being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they, what? Confess their sin. To acknowledge. So he's baptizing them when he sees they, they recognize who they are and they're making a change and turning away from their sin and repenting. And say, I'm doing a U-turn from where I was at. And so it's interesting you have to, if you, how many times do we know of people that happened when the girls were dating and one of the requirements of what we had was that date believers. So of course then as teenage girls you talk to them and it's amazing, are they a believer? Oh yeah, they believe and they'd come over and you start talking with them and it's like, 
No, you're not. <laughs> you know, you can hear they have some answers, but there's no clue as to really what it means to to uh, know Jesus Christ your personal Savior. And we had the privilege of leading one to Christ at the kitchen table and so on. But notice then, here you have John is baptizing them, but he, he'll only baptize them if he can see a physical evidence of change in the person's life. It's important to recognize that he's proclaiming the way the Messiah is coming. He's here. We need to get ready for him and have our lives straight when he comes. Preparing the way. Well, then notice it's also, it needs to be a public display. Notice what happens in 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism. So who's coming? Now, why would they want to be baptized? What's his message? Repent. Repent. The Messiah is coming. Notice what he says to them. This is a way to win friends and influence people. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Notice what he says. Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. They're doing it just so to be seen by who? By the people. And he's telling them the reason for it is because of verse 9. The common teaching of the day in verse 9 was we are descendants of Abraham, and as such... We will be, our sins will be forgiven. God will hear our prayer. God will answer it and everything else because we're descendants of Abraham and God's going to do it. So we don't need personal anything because, hey, we're descendants of Abraham. We've got it all. And John the Baptist is saying, no, you don't. You need personal repentance. That's why when you get to chapter 4, Jesus tells them likewise they need to repent. So here he's proclaiming the way that you have to get ready and have a public thing. When you think about it, do I believe that Jesus can come back at any time? Do you believe he can come back at any time today? Do we believe that we could die at any time? If that's true, what would happen to us if we died today? Am I prepared to meet Jesus? Because if he could come back today, I'm going to meet him. And if I die today, I'm going to meet him. So how many of us are preparing the way for ourselves to meet him? And how many of us are preparing the way for others to meet him? Because we're all going to. You think about it. And I said this reminds me of my older brother, uh, Bruce. He was an accountant all his uh, life, and he worked for a company for 40-some years. You think about it, how many times, and I always admired this, when they were making, doing acquisitions for other companies or selling parts or doing whatever, how many hundreds of hours did he spend preparing all those documents for them to either buy or sell or do whatever, and then they'd bring it to the meeting and, well, we decided to go a different direction. Now, how would you feel if you've prepared all of that and you've done all of it and they just turn to you and say, we're not interested. John the Baptist prepared the way, but how well did the nation accept it? But John did his job. So first of all, when we think about it, how many of us are preparing ourselves to meet him, but how many of us are preparing others? The second thing that he does, look over in John chapter, uh, chapter 1. <coughs> Notice in verse 6, his purpose and his place, talking about John the Baptist, proclaiming the way. There came a man, this is verse 6 of 
John 1. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. So does he know his place? Yes. I'm not the light, but I'm to bear witness of the light. It's interesting, you get down a little bit further in verse 22, and they ask him, are you Elijah, are you the prophet, are you the Messiah? And he says, no. In 23, he says, I am a voice, the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Does he know his place? He's proclaiming people. And it's interesting, though, when you look in verse 15 and also in verse 30, it says in verse 15, John bore witness of him, talking about Christ, cried out, saying, Thus was he whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Who is born first? How many months? Six months. And he's turning around and saying, I was born first, but he is pre-existent. He's God. You're looking out and looking at a human being and saying, he lived before me. He's always lived the pre-existence of Christ. An incredible statement of faith. That he, he's telling everybody around. He does the same thing when you get to verse 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who is higher ranked than I. He existed before me. He's proclaiming I'm not him, but he is. I'm not eternal. He is. And then notice in verse 29, it's interesting. The next day, Jesus coming out to him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was making them prepare for him. Now that he sees Jesus, he says what? There's the Lamb of God. He takes away sin. We've been covering sin all the way up till this time. Here's the one who can take away. That's an amazing statement when you look at it. You're looking at Jesus and right at the very beginning of the ministry. How many miracles has Jesus done? Not any yet. And you're saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. How did John know this? Look what it tells you. Verse 31. I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he's out there and he's baptizing and telling people to get ready for the Messiah. And Jesus comes up and all of a sudden here comes this dove and he immediately recognizes what? That's what the Holy Spirit said. And he makes the proclamation. Jesus had not done one miracle. Yet, this is the promised Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is that walking by faith? Did he prepare the way? Did he proclaim the way? What are you and I supposed to be doing? Think about it. Aren't we supposed to be proclaiming the way too? How much do I believe in it? It's interesting too that he pro- he's proclaiming the way. What happens to his disciples now? No, if you're if you're a disciple of John, you believe the Messiah is coming, and you're coming up, and you're following John, and now all of a sudden John says, "Hey, I'm just the messenger. Here's the promised Messiah." Now what happens? They all start leaving. It's interesting. You look at one of them, obviously, in the same text as Andrew. 
in verse 40, and Andrew goes and finds Peter, and they find Peter, and then they go find Philip, and then they go find Nathaniel. We found him, and then we go and find others. Have we found Christ? But how many of us are going finding other people? If we really believe we found Christ, don't we want others to find Him? You think about it. John the Baptist took his job seriously, would you agree? Do we have the ministry of reconciliation? How long have we had that ministry? Hmm? Our entire life. Did John know what his ministry was? His entire life. He prepared for it. And he then did it. How many of us are preparing for our reconciliation ministry? If I don't know it, I need to be working on it. But think about it. Here you have. So he did he prepare the way? Did he proclaim the way? Go to chapter 3. One of the difficulties that you have, I think, when we do this. And you'll notice uh, this is before his imprisonment in John chapter 3. And they start coming to him and they are wondering that, that Jesus is baptizing and a lot of people, more people are going to see Jesus than to see John. And see his disciples are coming up to him and, hey, what are you doing? What are you going to do about this, John? Uh, more people are going to Jesus now than not you. It's interesting what he says here, starting in 27, or go 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have been born witness. Behold, his baptizing and are all going to him. What would you do? And notice what he says. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been granted to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ. I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. So notice then, he proclaimed the way. You know, he not only proclaiming the way, he also then, you know, pronounced the, the path and prepared the way. But now he's getting out of the way. How hard is it to get out of the way? How many people do you know that any job, when you've done your part, but it's now part for somebody else to take over, is it time to get out of the way? And how many times do we have? You find it a lot with presidents. We've got them with two extremes. you got one president, when he leaves office, he keeps his mouth shut and he doesn't say anything. And then you have others that, man, they have to tell everybody how it ought to be done. They're out of office. You know, there's a time when we need to get out of the way. There's somebody else doing the job and get out of the way. And John was great about getting out of the way. And I think it's interesting when you look at it, when he's getting out of the way. Uh, but was John willing to, to proclaim it? Was he willing to prepare it? But he's also willing to get out of it. And notice what he says. I am just simply a friend. And my joy is full just seeing the bride be given to the bridegroom. I've done my job. And I think it's interesting. How many of us are our joy complete when somebody else, we've done it. We, we brought people to Jesus. And by the way, is that not the reason, one of the reasons why his ministry... It's about the end. He's only in his early 30s. But his job is complete. 
He took people to Jesus. Jesus is now here. John's ministry is complete. So notice the, th- the fourth thing I think is interesting is one I have thought a lot about in recent days is over in Matthew chapter 11. Is that of pondering the way? If you uh, and pondering the way, we might have to go to uh, let's go to Mark chapter six first before you go to Matthew. Mark chapter six. Where is John at presently? He pronounces the way, he prepares the way, and he then gets out of the way. And what happens to John? In John and Mark chapter six, you'll notice. What happens is Herod, in verse 17, puts him in prison. And the reason he puts him in prison is for what reason? You notice, if you would notice the uh, history, Herod the Great had three sons. Herod the Great was the one, you remember, who tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant. He dies, he has three sons. The land is now split up into three different groups. And notice then, on the, you, you, have, you have Philip and you have... Antipas, you have others. Anyway, what happens is one of them of the sons has a is married to a, a woman, and she gets tired of him, and uh, she leaves him and goes to be with the brother, be married to the brother. Well, John the Baptist, you remember, he's telling what? Prepare the way; the Messiah is coming. What did he say to the Sadducees and Pharisees? You brood of vipers! You know you need to change. Well, he was no different to the king. And he confronts the, the, the king and he con, con, uh, confronts the Herodias here and the wife of uh, Philip who is then now married to her. Notice then, and he tells in verse 18, John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You know, that's the way to win friends and influence people, right? Well, Herodias, notice in verse 19, carries a grudge and wants to put him to death. <clears throat> so what happens is, you notice, Herod wants to please his wife, but he's also scared of John because it says John is a righteous and holy man. So he just puts him in prison. What's interesting in verse 20, Herod keeps calling John out and he listens to him. Can you imagine those conversations? John, we, John's open, he's honest, he's telling him exactly all the different things about the coming of Messiah and Jesus and so on. He doesn't hide from it. So here you have... John the Baptist, he's in prison. And you're going to find just in a minute uh, later in this text that Herod's going to be beheaded because, or excuse me, John the Baptist because of the daughter-in-law uh, is going to basically ask for the head and he doesn't want to uh, uh, look bad in front of the people about saying, I'll give you anything you want. And then she asks for the head and then says, oh, no, 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 I don't want it. And it was the mother asking for it. But let's go back into this one about pondering now. You go back over then to Matthew chapter 11, and you're going to pick up. So here you have John. We don't know how long he's in in prison. He's there for a while. And what did you do? Did you prepare the way for Jesus? Did you proclaim the way for Jesus? Did you get out of the way? Then what question would you have if you were John the Baptist? You're going to find it in verse 11 and so on, chapter 11 of Matthew. It came about when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John 
in prison heard of the works of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for somebody else? Well, what's, what's he been saying about it? Didn't he say you're the promised one? Didn't the Spirit descend? So what's happening? He's doubting. Why is he doubting? If you're the one that announced it, and you did all this, and if you're the Messiah, and you're supposed to be setting up your kingdom, what am I doing in prison? Why aren't you getting me out of here? I'm your right-hand man. What would you do? Any of you ever ponder and wonder why God does what He does? I mean, I have the... We prayed for, you remember James from work? The young man who's... Uh, he's adopted. He's probably maybe 40. And... Uh, he had cancer. Both his parents, adopted parents, died of cancer. He had cancers in MB Anderson. They gave him clear bill of health. Everything's going great. Clear bill of health in, in this fall. Just went back. You see, he got three weeks to live. You know, as a believer, and he's just a great guy. Why? Why, Lord? Why would you take him? Leaving a, a young bride? Why, why, why do you do that? So what are you going to do if how would you answer? Pondering, John's pondering. Many of us ponder. So what answer does Jesus give John that he's also given you and I? And what does he tell him? Verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what ye heard and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. What is Jesus telling? What was the prophecies of the Old Testament? This is Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 6, 60 being fulfilled right in their midst. And he's telling them, go and tell him exactly what I'm doing. I'm fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. <clears throat> so in other words, look and see what I am doing. Look and see what I am doing, and you'll know that I'm in charge. My ways are not what? Your ways. My thoughts are not what? Your thoughts. And we know in Matthew... The next chapter, you'll notice they're going to do the unpardonable sin, and the kingdom is postponed until his second coming. John's waiting on the kingdom for right now, and the kingdom is not going to be now, it's going to be when he comes back, and when now it's why we're in the church age today, and so on. But it's important. Pondering the way. So you think about it. Go back and be a witness for what you see. How would you like to go back and be the ones to tell John? What did he say? He said for me to tell you what I saw and what I heard. And this is what I saw and this is what I heard. Fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The very Old Testament prophecy you were proclaiming earlier is not happening the way you wanted it to, but it's happening exactly the way it said it would. And I think it's important for all of us when we're pondering the way, look at what God is doing what he has done 
and allow him to be who he is. Notice I think the last one you're in, since you're in Matthew 11, it's interesting when he looks at this, starting in verse 7, and as they were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go to the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Behold, those who wear soft clothes are in the king's palace. But what did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one whom is written, Behold, I send a messenger, behold your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. How old was, was he? Uh, he's going to die before he's 33. And in the Old Testament, up until this time, Jesus said there is no one greater. Did Moses live four times as long? But he wasn't greater. What about Abraham? What about Daniel? You think about it. What greater statement can be said by Jesus? There is no one. He doesn't say that, he, that there aren't others that are equal to him, but there are none that are greater. And I think it's important, the position that John has. He did his job, and just like in, Matthew, in Revelation 11, when the two witnesses are finished their job, the Antichrist kills them. But they're young. But their job's complete. And so I think it's important too when we look at John, you know, in Malachi chapter 3, God records and remembers what we've done. Whether it's in our 30s or 20s or whatever it might be. God knows. And the reward will be out there. Most people have no comprehension about even who John the Baptist is so far as history. So let's think about it. Remember we had the different ones that you have in the position in the way. How many of us are really working for the Lord and recognize I'm doing everything I can for His honor and His glory and I'll let Him decide what all takes place. And how many of us, when we start to ponder what God's doing, we just need to look out. Lord, what are you doing? I see what you're doing. I hear what you're doing. And I'm going to rejoice in what you're doing even if I don't really quite understand why you're doing it that way. How many of us know the way? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and life? How many of us are telling people? If we believe we're going to meet Him at any time, how many of us are preparing our way to meet Him? That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says what? The crown of righteousness awaits me. And awaits me into all those who what? Love His appearance. Love His appearance. What does it mean to love His appearance? Look forward to seeing Him. Okay, if I love His appearance, if Christ comes back today and raptures us to meet Him, where do all of us go? To the judgment seat of Christ. And how many of you are saying, come Lord, I'm ready for you to judge me. You think maybe that's why it's called the crown of righteousness? I am right standing before the Lord, and Lord, I'm doing what I ought to be, and I'd really like for you to find me. How many of you had a kid that have ever been caught when you didn't want your parents to see what you might be doing? <coughs> you're at a place where you know, every once in a while you might have been doing what you're supposed to, and you wish they would see you. 
That's what we have that potential. I want to be doing what God wants me to be doing when He comes back. You think about it. John the Baptist, quite an individual, isn't he? he proclaimed the way, he prepared the way, he got out of the way, and when he was pondering the way, he was told, just look at what I am doing. And remember, you have position in heaven just by doing what you need to be doing, whatever it might be. 